reading today is from 1 Corinthians and it's chapter 15 verse 58 through to chapter 16 verse 14. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm, let nothing move you, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour for the Lord is not in vain. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Then, when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while, or even spend the winter, so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many who oppose me. When Timothy comes, see to it he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord, just as I am. No one, then, should treat him with contempt. Send him on his way in peace, so that he may return to me. I am expecting him along with the brothers. Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, uh, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning as we look together at God's Word. For those who uh, perhaps don't know me, my name's Stuart, and uh, my wife Pauline and I go to the 10 o'clock service ordinarily. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, if you would like to join with me in prayer, that would be great. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is given as a guide for us, a light, a lamp for our feet. We thank you that by it we are rebuked and corrected and trained up in righteousness. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, in your grace and mercy you might draw near to us today, that you might speak to us through your word, and that uh, in your goodness, Father, we might become better disciples of the Lord Jesus for your glory and your honour. For we pray these things in his name. Amen. Uh, well, it's, it's an interesting chapter. The last chapter of, of letters for the Apostle Paul are often interesting because they're full of lots of different people, full of lots of different detail. Uh, it's not exactly a, um, a description of his Macedonian holiday, as we'll find out, but, uh, but it is a, a part of God's Word which talks to us about sacrifice, talks to us about the cost of Christian discipleship. And we all need a reason to sacrifice. In, in COVID times, it's been interesting watching our governments wrestle with the whole issue of how to motivate us to be able to make the sacrifices that are necessary in times of pandemic. Uh, the sacrifice of wearing masks or of being socially distanced or getting vaccinated or, or enduring lockdown. And there are any number of incentives that have been put forward by our governments to try and encourage us to make these kinds of sacrifices. The sooner you get vaccinated, the sooner you can travel overseas. Uh, get a jab, 
and you'll be able to picnic outdoors with a few other jabbies with you. Uh, one political party a while back even suggested a $300 bonus or incentive for people to, to be vaccinated. And I know overseas they've even tried free beer as a reason to get people to take the jab. Not all of them have been self-interested, of course. Uh, endure lockdown for the sake of the wider community. Uh, stay socially distanced in order to keep your loved ones safe. But it's clearly a big concern for governments as to how to motivate us to make the sacrifices that are required in order to get on top of the virus. And it's an interesting question, isn't it? That whole issue of why should I make sacrifices? Why should I put myself out? Why should I pay a cost for anything? And certainly that's true in the case of the Christian life. And as we come to these final words of the Apostle Paul in his first letter to the church in Corinth, we've got sacrifice and service uh, everywhere in the final chapter. Along with the reason why, as Christian men and women, we should be cheerfully and willingly sacrificing for the sake of our Christian faith. So turn with me if you've got your Bibles, hopefully keep them there with you. And you'll see that in the last verse of chapter 15, Paul has two commands for the believers in the church. Verse, verse 58, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Two commands, stand firm and give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Both are commands that require a level of sacrifice. Uh, there's a costliness to these, to these commands and to obedience to them. He repeats them more or less over in chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong and do everything in love. So we're going to look, first of all, at those two commands. The first one, stand firm. Stand firm, the apostle says to the church in Corinth and to us, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be strong and courageous in the way in which you hold to the great truths of the Christian gospel. I grew up in Port Macquarie, and uh, when you grow up in a, in a beachside town like that, you tend right throughout summer to spend every day at the beach, and as a kid growing up, we, um, we used to amuse ourselves with all sorts of games always revolved around the water. One of them, when we were young, used to be seeing who could stand firm when the tide, when the waves were coming in and going out. And there'd be there'd usually a few of our mates, and we would, you would plant your feet in the sand, and you would wait for the first big wave to come. And the wave, of course, would try and knock you off your feet. And so you would have to put your feet into the sand, and you'd stand firm to try and hold yourself. But the really hard part came when the, when the wave began to go out again because that's when the water really would suck the sand out from under your feet and it was terribly difficult to stand firm. Now that's what the apostle is talking about here, about that kind of standing firm against the currents that would try and shift you from the foundation that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we know from, uh, from, from 1 Corinthians that the Corinthians were in danger of shifting. They were in danger of allowing the currents of their times to sweep them away from the foundation that they had in the Lord Jesus. Right throughout 2 Corinthians, there's, there's always false teachers who are in the apostle's mind as he's writing to the church. Here in chapter 15, as we saw last week, 
Paul has been addressing the claim by some in the church that there is no resurrection of the dead. And Paul's warning to them is, don't go there. Don't take the soft option. Don't run with the majority. Don't allow yourself to be shifted from your firm foundation in Christ. Stand firm. Because even today, any number will tell us that the Christian message is outdated. It's, it's, it's a common view within our own community that Christians are out of step with the way 21st century people ought to be thinking. And the words of the apostle are words for us. Stand firm. Don't be shifted. Don't allow the foundation to be swept out from under you. Hold firm to Christian truth. Now, you and I can have different views over adult or infant baptism. We can have different views over systems of church government, over, over even what you choose to do on the Sabbath. But on matters of what the Apostle calls first importance, over in chapter 15, verse 3, on the issues that are central to the Christian faith, the divinity of our Lord Jesus, his death in our, as an atonement for our sins, his resurrection from the dead, and our resurrection with him, the second coming, on matters of which Paul describes as of first importance, Stand firm. Don't be moved. Your salvation itself depends upon it. So firstly, stand firm, my dear brothers and sisters. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. The second thing that the apostle says is to stand firm in how you live. Give yourselves, notice in verse 58, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Over in uh, chapter 16, verse 14, do everything in love. Give yourselves over to the work of the Lord. Be willing to sacrifice and to bear the cost of discipleship for the sake of serving others. Now, we know that the believers in Corinth found that very difficult. They were weak when it came to Christian service. They weren't especially good at putting themselves out for the sake of others. They weren't the greatest in the area of love for one another and they were poor when it came to the work of the Lord. We've seen that already, haven't we? In their selfish use of spiritual gifts so that the apostle needs to write to them about the priority of love and that spiritual gift practice without love is you're simply an empty gong. Their greed and their self-centeredness when it came to the Lord's Supper so that some would come and, and would eat too much and would be drunk and others would come and they would have nothing and they would go away hungry. Their divisions and their party spirits, I'm for Paul, I'm for Apollos, I'm for, for, I'm for Peter. Their sexual immorality where a man is living with the wife of his father. It's clear in Corinth that self-interest trumps Christian service and sacrifice most of the time. And so they needed to hear this command of the apostle. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Do everything out of love. Now the first way in which the apostle encourages them to do this is by pointing them towards the example of others who are actually living this way, who are labouring for the Lord, who are giving themselves over in Christian service who are doing everything out of love. First of all, there's Paul himself, and we see that in chapter 16, verse 5. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, 
for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. It's interesting, isn't it? Paul's deliberately deciding to stay in Ephesus despite opposition, despite the fact that there are many opposing him, but he's remaining because there is a great door for effective service open to him. Paul's focus is not on self-interest, it is on the service of others. Then he goes on to the example of Timothy in verse 10. If Timothy comes, see to it that he has nothing to fear while he is with you, for he is carrying on the work of the Lord just as I am. No one then should refuse to accept him. Send him on his way in peace so that he may return to me. I'm expecting him along with the brothers. So there's Timothy as well as an example to you of what it means to always serve the Lord. Carrying on the work of God, following an, in, an itinerant pathway. Timothy was the man who moved around constantly, delivering Paul's messages of words and encouragement. He was the one who took on pastoral responsibilities for difficult churches. But that was how best Timothy could serve. And although it was not easy, although it was costly, he did it nonetheless. There's Apollos. Be, um, down in verse 12, Now about our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to go to you with the brothers. He was quite unwilling to go now, but he will go when he has the opportunity. It's clearly the, the Apollos is a busy man. The opportunity to visit Corinth wasn't there at this point, but it will come and he will go because he too is a servant of the church and of the Lord Jesus. And then finally, there are the uh, example of the threesome, Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus. Verse 15, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia and they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. I urge you to submit to such as these and to everyone who joins in the work and labours at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. There they are. Your own number, he says. Corinthians like you. But they have come. They have come to the apostle. They are supplying his needs. They are providing him with refreshment. They are working, in verse 16, in the work of the gospel and labouring for Christ. Paul, Timothy, Apollos... These three men from Corinth, all six of them, examples to the church of sacrificial service, of giving themselves out of love to the service of the Lord. And Paul's point is, so also you, the church. Notice what he says back in verse 58, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Now, Paul has in these, in these verses a number of specific areas that he addresses for the church in Corinth. And the first specific area is their generosity. God, he says over in 2 Corinthians, God has been generous to us, so we should therefore be generous in the way in which we use the resources that God has given us. So notice chapter 16, verse 1. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian church to do. 
On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and will send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Now, this collection that Paul's speaking about in chapter 16 is, it was obviously a big deal for the apostle. If you go over into Galatians chapter 2, he's speaking about it there. He talks of meeting along with Barnabas. He meets with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And as they release him to become an apostle to the Gentiles, one, the one thing they ask is, remember the poor in Jerusalem. And that was something that was dear to the apostle's heart, and he was at pains to honour. And so among the churches that he planted in what's modern-day Turkey and Greece, Paul worked energetically to raise up a generous gift from the churches to be taken to the, to the impoverished people of Jerusalem. Now, there are four principles that, that he lays down here, and we'll just look at them very briefly. Firstly, he says, our giving to the Lord's work must be planned. Notice verses 1 and 2 about the collection. Do what I told the Galatians on the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. Be planned about your giving. Set aside an amount on a regular basis. The second thing he says is that the giving, our giving to the work of the Lord is to be reasonable giving. Our, our giving is a response to the generosity of God and so we too are to be generous. But notice what he says, verse 2, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with their income. You see, the church of God is not a cult which demands all your money, sign over your property to us. There's no guilt associated with giving. Paul leaves it to the individual believer, set aside an amount in keeping with your income. Be thoughtful about it, about how much is appropriate for you to give generously and give from that. The third thing he says is that their giving to the Lord's work was to be transparent. Down in verse 3, he says, when you've collected the money, you select who's going to take it. You be responsible for the ones who will, who will deliver the money. You take people that you trust, that you have confidence in, and let them go. Everything must be above board and transparent. And fourthly and finally, their giving to the Lord's work was to be loving towards others. It was other person-centered giving. The collection is for God's people, but for people of God, but for the people of God who are in a far-off land from the church in, in Corinth, they were people that the Corinthian Christians would probably never meet this side of heaven. And yet they are asked to give for the sake of others, not themselves. It's the same for us in giving at central villages. We're giving so that others can be served. We give so that we can employ Tom as our pastor. But I'm not giving money in order for Tom to serve me, though he does that extremely well. I'm giving so that Tom is freed to serve others in the church, so that he's freed to serve others in the local community, so he's freed to serve others in the wider church of God. And in the same way, we support Nick and we support James and not, not because of what we will get out of them for ourselves, though we get a great deal, but we give in order that they be trained up and be a blessing to others in other parts of our state and even other parts of our world. Our giving, in other words, is not to be self-centred and self-interested, but to be sacrificial and other person-centred. It's to be an act of love. 
The second area that Paul focuses on is not only our, our generous giving, but also the hospitality that we can show. Notice in verse 6, Paul hopes that he'll be able to stay with the believers in Corinth so that they can help him on his journey of missionary work. In other words, they can show Paul hospitality to support him in his Christian service. Down in verses 10 and 11, he says the same thing about Timothy. When he comes, make sure that he's welcome. Make sure that he's not fearful about whether he'll have a bed to sleep in or, or food to eat. Be hospitable toward Timothy as he carries out the work of God. In verse 17, he expresses gratitude for the hospitality that the Corinthian three, those three men that he mentioned, Stephanus, Fortunatus and Achaicus, he's, he's grateful for their hospitality which they have shown to him. Notice verse 17, I was glad when they arrived because they have supplied what was lacking from you, for they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. Give generously. Be hospitable. Hospitality comes in many forms, in phone calls and visits, in offers of practical help, in meals, in any effort to refresh people in their labour for the Lord. And Central Villages does that extremely well. There's been a lot of care and encouragement amongst our congregation. And I think probably all of us can testify to that. But maybe in the context of, of what Paul is saying in chapter 16 we might particularly ask ourselves how we can show hospitality to those who serve us so well. To Tom and Alison, along with James and Nick and Beth and the wardens and, and so many other people who are involved in providing us with the opportunities to continue to fellowship and to be pastored here. How might we refresh their spirit, show them hospitality, even in these lockdown days? I've got a friend who... Um, involved in full-time Christian ministry and uh, she was telling me the other day that um, someone simply arrived at her doorstep with a plate of, of scones, jam and cream, Devonshire tea, just a gift, an act, a little act of kindness, a sharing of hospitality with those who are engaged in the labour of God's work. You and I can be a Stephanus or a Fortunatus, we can refresh those who serve us and who serve the wider work of God. And in all of this, all of this sacrificial service of giving and of hospitality, Paul wants his readers to understand why. Why they are called to give themselves fully to the work of the Lord. Why they must stand firm. And for that we go back to chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Now, I think a good principle of reading the Bible is whenever you read a therefore, ask what the therefore is there for. And this therefore in verse 58, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, is drawing on everything that Paul has been saying in the previous chapter, in chapter 15. He spent the entire chapter focusing on the hope of Christian believers, the hope of heaven, even through hard times, he says, what sustained us while we wrestled with wild animals in Ephesus? Was it not our hope that this life is not all that there is, but there is another life to come, a resurrection life, an eternal life with the Lord Jesus? Because death, he reminds them, has been swallowed up in victory. Victory over sin and victory over death. Therefore, stand firm in the gospel. 
Therefore, stand firm in your faith because the gospel is the foundation for your confidence and all of your Christian labor. It will give you, it, it is the foundation and the guarantee of your eternal life. Stand firm on the gospel and give yourselves to the work of God because Christian hope means, as Paul says, that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. God sees it. God knows it. God sees the, the simple things that you do, those acts of hospitality. He sees you as you sit down and you set aside what monies you will give from your income having regard to what is fair and right. And one day we will stand before God and he will know the sacrifices we have made, the labour that we've invested, the work for him that perhaps no one else has noticed but few, if any, have appreciated. But God will know it. And God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into your rest with me. And in the glory of the new heaven and the new earth, Paul says, it will all have been worthwhile. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you might make us servants of the Lord Jesus, that we would be devoted in our discipleship, servant-like in the way that we follow you, that we would willingly make sacrifice for the sake of Jesus in order that we might be servants of you and servants of one another. And these things we pray in the most precious name of our Lord and Saviour Jesus. Amen.